Will you turn in your Bibles, please, with me to Matthew chapter 5? Matthew chapter 5. In the book of Matthew, Matthew is a lot, has a lot to do with the kingdom of God. Matthew is a Jewish man. He was a, uh, Levi was his name formerly. He was a tax collector working for the Roman government, which was a hated position because he was uh, oppressing his own people to take money from them. And so Matthew becomes a disciple of Christ, and he is enamored with Christ's message of not only salvation and healing, but also Christ talking about the kingdom of God. So Christ uses in the Gospels, for my sake or for my kingdom's sake, interchangeably, about half of the time. He uses those interchangeably whenever he's talking. And so Matthew catches a portion of the kingdom of God that Jesus is talking about. And he, of course, comes to know Jesus as his Savior. He, of course, comes to understand that Jesus is God and that he has come to save us and that he will suffer the cross and rise again from the dead that we might be saved. But also, he sees that Jesus is rightfully the king of the world and that his kingdom and his kingdom administration is over all things. And so writing this gospel account writing this account of Jesus' life back to his fellow Jews. He's trying to show them that Jesus is the anticipated king they're looking for, maybe in a different way than they expected. And that Jesus, the anticipated king, has a kingdom that is excellence beyond anything they could experience in life. Now, this is important because Jesus is a Jewish person. So what, do we, what are some things that you know about Jesus? And you can actually answer this question. You know I love to do this. Put everybody on the spot. Christy, you're first. What's one thing that you know about Jesus? He's the Son of God. What would, how would you describe him as a person? One thing. Okay, so he's loving. And you know that because he's healing people and he's in the midst of the crowds. He's not turning away the children, things like that. What else do you know about Jesus? What, is he, what, is, what are some things that you can say? He was meek. That's right. Meaning he had the power to overcome but withheld it even though he's the most powerful person in the world ever. He's an excellent speaker. He is an excellent speaker. He can hold the attention of crowds of thousands easily. What else do you know about him? Gentle and lowly. Gentle and lowly. Unless you're trading things in the temple. Right. Yeah, then you, you know, he might whip you a little bit. <laughs> what else? What else do you know about him? Where is he born? Bethlehem. Where is he from? Nazareth in Galilee. What does his dad do? Carpenter, what line is he from? Judah. Line of David, yeah. In the tribe of? Judah. Judah, there you go. The line of the tribe of Judah. So you know a lot about him. Now, in context of history, if Jesus is all those things, what does that make him? A man. He's fully God and fully man. And he's an oppressed Jewish person under the boot of Rome. Because they have taken over. And in taking over, they have installed their political people to be over the different areas. In this time period, we talked about this a little bit last week, if a soldier tells you to do something because you are not a citizen as a normal Jewish person, generally speaking, some Jews were citizens of Rome, like Paul we're going to see later, it's, it's, he is one of those. Most people, though, are not citizens. They are a conquered people. And as a conquered people, if a soldier tells you to do something, you are legally bound to do what they say, up to a certain amount. So you can carry their stuff for them up to one mile, and then your legal obligation is over. 
So Jesus, talking to people, says things like, turn the other cheek. He's not just talking about if you get in an argument. He's talking about when the Romans tell you and smack you in the face that you're going to do something, then turn your other cheek also and don't fight against them. But that is earth-shattering. Because as an oppressed people, what would you expect a person, a great teacher, a great power? He's a prophet. He's the greatest teacher. He holds the attention of thousands when he speaks, not just because he's a good speaker, because there's something about what he says that reaches into people's hearts and they go, yes, this is what I've always wanted and looked for. And then he turns around gentle and lowly and does what? Heals somebody, raises somebody from the dead, casts out demons, brings people back in their right minds. What do you do with this guy? And so if you're following him as a Jewish person, what kind of things do you expect? You expect at some point things are going to shift and that power is going to be applied against the oppressors and the kingdom of God, meaning Israel in their eyes, is going to be reestablished. This is so prevalent in their thinking that even the disciples as he's going to the cross, even after he's resurrected from the dead, are asking, are you now going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Because they don't understand that Jesus is not just the king of Israel. He's the king of the universe. But they will, they will learn that. And Matthew is learning that. And in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus has come uh, out of the temptation time. He's calling the first disciples. And he is walking and he's teaching a little bit. And suddenly a great crowd comes to him. And this uh, Matthew chapter 5 little subheading here is called the Sermon on the Mount. And that sermon is called the Sermon on the Mount because Jesus goes up on a hillside and he sits down so everybody can see him. Sitting down was the normal posture of a rabbi teacher. Rabbi is an uh, old Hebrew word that just means teacher for the Jews. And so Jesus goes up to teach and he assumes the posture of a master teacher and he begins talking to thousands of people. And here's what he says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 2. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Praise the Lord for his word. Now this list that he says is a little weird, because as he starts speaking, the things that you expect him to talk about the things that you think he's going to address are things that an oppressed people would really care about. For instance, if you are persecuted into a position of poverty, you cannot hold the best jobs because you're not a citizen. You get taxed by your own brothers more than they're supposed to tax you because they're stealing from you and it's sanctioned by the government. You have no redress to go to the court against an actual Roman citizen because they are better than you in the eyes of the world. 
and you're expecting Jesus to open his mouth with this giant crowd and say something about those things. And instead, he says things like, blessed are the peacemakers. We don't want peace. We want to fight. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. We don't want to be persecuted anymore. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. What a list that Jesus starts with. And he's turning everything on its head because Jesus is going to change everything about the way that the people view the kingdom. Today we're going to talk about, in our little series that we've been doing so far, we've been talking about imitating God. And today we're going to be talking about being pure in heart, for these people shall see God. As we imitate God, which is from Ephesians chapter 5, the Bible tells us that we should, as beloved children, follow his example and be like him. And so if Jesus tells us that we should be pure in heart, that they are a blessed people, then that's something that we should do. As we look at this passage today of the Beatitudes, and specifically this verse, uh, verse 8 here about blessed are the pure in heart, the first thing that we need to understand is what does it mean to be blessed? Actually blessed. Because a lot of times we use that word, it gets thrown around a lot. Um, I was blessed that Michigan won the other day for my friends who live in Michigan because I knew they were all excited about it. What a blessing. But is that really what this is talking about? I was blessed when there were turkey leftovers to take home. <laughs> so blessed. I was blessed that my wife made hash brown casserole. It sounds as good as it's perfect. It's the best thing ever. What a blessing. But is that the way that the passage is talking about when it talks about blessing? Probably not. We tend to use blessing to mean happiness. The passage is using blessing in a different way. And Jesus says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Now that is a blessing to be able to see God. David told us this morning about following the pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire, but not actually seeing God's face. Here's the crazy part. God is saying this to the people that are watching him. How crazy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Here's a definition of blessed that you can write down. You can think about it. We can talk about it later because it would be its own whole lesson. We're not going to do that today. Blessing is walking with the God, walking with God, being in his presence, and obeying him. That's what real blessing is. It's walking with God, being in his presence, and obeying him. And Jesus says here, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Now, there's one problem with this. And the problem is, in the eyes of the people hearing this, this idea of purity is different than what we think of as purity. When you think of purity, what kind of things do you think of? We don't really use that word much anymore. Pure, maybe pure gold. So if you're going to go get some kind of piece of jewelry, you want it to be pure and not mixed with other things, unless you're going for a certain style or something. What do we talk about pure? What kind of thing? When do you ever hear that word in a context of modern day living? Nutritional things. Yeah. What you put in your body needs to be pure. Yeah. McDonald's, delicious, not pure. We all know that. Yeah. Even Burger King, not. It's not. What are the, when, do you, when do you hear pure? Pure. Yeah. Be pure in your conduct, in your virtue. Right? But... That scale slides these days because it's compared to somebody else. So compared to 
that guy, I'm a saint. And that's how we tend to do things. Have you ever been in an argument and somebody says, like, compared to Hitler, what a person to compare to. I mean, come on. You're like, you're scraping the bottom of the barrel. Or they flip it around. They say, well, compared to Mother Teresa, I'm not. I'm no Mother Teresa. You know, you hear things like that all the time. So pure, one of the, one of the ways we use that word pure nowadays is pure intentions. Are your intentions pure? But have you ever considered being pure in heart? Pure in heart? To the people hearing this, they would have heard very different things with the word purity. Because to be pure is a requirement of all of the temple workers and priests who would go in and do the temple sacrifices. If you want to see God, really there's only one person one time a year who gets to be really in God's presence in the Jewish way of life. In the way that God had instituted the sacrificial system. Now this was, the Bible explains the sacrificial system as a shadow for us. It's a shadow of things to come. So it's, it, it resembles the real thing, the heavenly reality, but it's not exact. It's not a full picture. We get the full picture in who? In Jesus, because he is our high priest. But for the people to come into God's presence in this time period, really, there's only one person who fully gets to come into God's presence and only once a year. And that person was the high priest. So the high priest was a guy who had been determined by God that he was going to bring the sacrifices. And the high priest was supposed to, on the Day of Atonement, one time a year, have a special sacrifice that would cover the sins of the people. Now, why is that important? That's important because God had said that the people should be perfect as he is perfect. God said that for the people to follow him and to be with him, they needed to perfectly obey all of his statutes and laws and be like him and set apart. But everybody fails. Everybody fails. And so in order to come into God's presence because he is holy, because he's apart, because he's better, because he's perfect and pure in all his ways, the people had to cover over their impurities. And the only way to do that was with blood. And the reason for that was because blood was the punishment for sin. God said from the very beginning with Adam and Eve in the garden, if you sin, you will surely die. So a life had to be taken for you to come into God's presence. Now that sounds pretty gross, doesn't it? Super gross. But can you see how much God hates sin and how important he sees these things? It's very important. So once a year, what would happen is the high priest would come, and to come into God's presence, they would need to sacrifice an animal, and they would sacrifice that animal and take its blood and come into the most holy place and sprinkle the blood on the altar and on the Ark of the Covenant all around, and then that would be the sacrifice for the people once a year that was going to be a cleansing sacrifice where God would overlook their sin. Now, for this to happen, the high priest himself also had to be pure and had to offer sacrifices for himself, and blood had to be sprinkled on him, and then there were special washings and ceremonial things, special things they had to wear. Did you know that even in the desert, the high priest, when he went into the most holy place, was not allowed to have sweat on him? How, how do you do that in the desert? It's very difficult to do in the desert because God didn't want human perspiration in his presence. Your work is not what got you there. So, let me have, I need a volunteer. Who can be a volunteer for me? All the middle schoolers are out. I was totally going to embarrass them, but they're, they're out. Wesley. What's that? 
Wesley's here, but I, he, I'm going I'm to spare Wesley today. Michael, you're going to be my volunteer. Can you come up? Michael, you're awesome. Welcome. Let's give Michael a round of applause. Okay, Michael, come on up here. You're our high priest. Because I'm Jewish. <laughs> Easy now. Easy. Okay, come right here. Uh, all right, praise the Lord. <laughs> okay, so here's Michael. Michael's our high priest. Now, Michael is going to go into the presence of God, into the most holy place of the temple. The temple has separate compartments. He's going to offer the sacrifices for the sins of the people. One time a year, he's got to be totally purified. So he's purified, pretend, special washing, sacrifices, all these things. Now, he comes into the most holy place. This microphone is the most holy place. He sprinkles the blood. Right? Now he comes out. Now, God's word says that because the sacrifice happened and because the priest did the sacrifice according to the law, the people are purified to be able to worship and to come into his presence. And so they can come to the temple, they can worship, and God doesn't forgive all their sins right away, if you will. He overlooks them. And I'm saying that because he says also the blood of bulls and goats is not what he desires. And so he's kind to the people. But here's the problem. Is this guy, not Michael, the high priest guy, pretend, is he perfect? No, he had to have sacrifices for himself first, right? Is he really pure? But Jesus says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. But if the high priest is not actually even pure in heart, then how is there any hope to see God? And if I'm hearing this and I'm an oppressed people, and I really just want Jesus to say, we're going to rise up and kill all those Romans. And instead he says to me, if you want to see God, if you want the destiny of your life to be fulfilled in all the things that I'm preaching to you and your heart is saying, yes, that, that's what I want. If that's the case, then you have to be pure in heart. And it's impossible. It's impossible. How can we ever get there? You know, there was a tornado in Joplin several years ago. And when that tornado came through in Joplin, this was probably 10, 15 years ago, something like that. One of, when was it? 2011. 2011. You know the tornadoes. So a while ago. So this tornado came through Joplin, and one of the houses that they came into, as the workers were trying to save people after the tornado had passed, they found a room, and they started pulling all the rubble away, and the roof of the house had collapsed. And when the roof of the house was collapsing, the father of this family, two kids and his wife, had come into the inner part of the, of the house to try to escape the storm, to be away from the windows and stuff like that. And the house, it was evident, was coming down. And so the dad threw himself over, you have to, threw himself over his children like this. And the rubble collapsed on him, and his body became a frame to hold off the weight of the rubble. And he gave his life to save his children and his wife. How incredible. And you hear that story and you think, Wow, that's what real love looks like. And Jesus said that real love looks like someone who would lay down their life for their friend. That's why that resonates in our hearts. 
And the Bible tells us that God sent Jesus, who was totally pure, who was without sin in every way, the very Son of God, fully man and fully God. He was a family member of ours as a man, but God himself with all his power. And that he used not his power, but instead emptying himself of some of those attributes, he came totally obedient to the Father, that he would come and cover his people and take away their sin. And where the high priest would come in and sprinkle blood onto the altar and then sprinkle blood onto the people to cover them, to show God, look, Lord, a life has been taken so that these people, their sin can be overlooked now. And they can come into your presence because life has been shed. Now Jesus Christ, who is perfectly pure, comes and hangs on a cross for you. And he dies on the cross, his blood shed, his blood poured out. And as he dies on that cross, the Bible tells us that the Lord covers over you, covers over me, so that our sins are not just overlooked, but are completely wiped away and forgiven. Because in Christ's perfect righteousness, his blood is enough to save us. And what God does is he saves up over time all of the wrath that he has on sin, which looks like violence. Think about sacrificing an animal for a minute. It's gross. It's violent. There is no way to kill an animal that's not bad. Let's be honest, right? And there's a reason for it, because that's what the wrath of God upon sin looks like. It's a tornado we cannot escape. And God sent his son who covered over us on the cross, that he would come and cover and take all of the wrath of God on sin and he would take all of it in his body, in himself, and he would die for us because the wages of sin are death. And three days later, because of God's gracious power, he would come to life, but he doesn't come alone. He brings us with him now. And we rise up to be with him and have life with him now. And here's the beauty of the gospel. This is what it means to be pure in heart. It's not just that you try hard and do your best. It's not that you're sprinkled with blood. It's not that somebody else went and sacrificed an animal for you. It's that Jesus Christ himself died for us to take the wrath of sin. And then when he took the wrath of sin, he also rose to life and he took his righteous robes and he put them on us now. So that you don't have to come with bulls and goats' blood anymore. But now when you come, the righteousness of Christ is shining through you because you belong to him. Amen. And the beauty of knowing him means that you rest in him, not your righteousness, not your goodness, not the sacrifices that other people did, but his sacrifice applied to you, that you are his. And the pure in heart now see God. And I'm telling you, if you believe in Jesus, if you have submitted your life to him, if you've bowed your knee to him, if you've said, Lord, forgive me of my sin, he didn't just overlook your sin. He suffered on the cross and took all your sin, and then he wrapped you in robes of righteousness that are his, so that when the Father sees you, he sees Christ's righteousness, and you will see God. That is good news. That is hope for the ages. That is life for us. That's not rooted in some kind of scheme or some kind of heart cry thing that never gets answered, but instead is rooted in the hope of the gospel, that we live for God 
and we know him and we stand in him. What does it mean that the pure in heart will see God? It means that those who have been cleansed by the blood of Jesus, who stand in his resurrection, who have faith in him and believe, their hearts have been cleaned out of all the junk that was there. And instead, Christ's righteousness is put on you, and you will see God. What good news that we have. What good news that is better than overthrowing any oppressor. Because Jesus Christ in his kingdom overthrew the oppression of sin, that you might be delivered from slavery to sin and into the newness of life in him. And it's so good, isn't it? It's so good. Praise the Lord. Good job. Thank you. I'm going to take my jacket back. Thank you, Michael. Great job. Great job. So we are supposed to be imitators of God as those who are pure in heart. If we know what it means to be blessed, that we walk with God and we know him and we obey him. If Jesus tells us that blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. And if we can see that it's through Jesus Christ alone that our lives find completion, that the very cry of our hearts finds its answer, then I'm telling you, rest on knowing that Jesus Christ has cleansed you and made you his. So what do you do with that? If you can see God now, what are you supposed to do? Matthew is a man who is gripped by the kingdom of God, the revelation of Jesus Christ who is over all things. As likewise, people who are now pure in heart, our hearts are gripped by the kingdom of God. Have you noticed that sometimes um, the best things that you can do, the most fun family events, the best things that you can accomplish, they don't always quite measure up to your expectation? You know what I'm talking about? Sometimes in life, we, we put the mark of our measure of what we think is going to happen, what blessing looks like, into a place that is not what God defines. What we need to do is we need to realign our thinking with Scripture. If God has made you pure in heart, we heard a word already from Mike this morning that we should walk in what God has called us in. How do we think of pure things nowadays? Isn't it funny that the first things that we think of are food? You know the first thing I thought of when I thought of pure? Bear with me here. Ready? Cosmetics. Because you hear about it all the time in advertising. It's pure. This is pure lotion. This is pure, I don't know any cosmetics. Mascara. Whatever. This stuff is pure. Not tested on animals. That's all you hear about all the time. And see, the world is fascinated with covering themselves up to look nice. When God is dedicated to purifying your heart that you might see him. What does it mean for us to walk in purity? It means this. Cast yourself away from the sins in which you formerly walked. Let those things go away. Don't let any, any unfaithful things come into your eyes or your heart. Cast it away from you. That instead you would walk pure in heart with God, seeing him and following him wherever he goes. You know, that's what children do, don't they? Sometimes they wander, but they're supposed to follow their parents. Uh, I had a friend one time, he had a, a toddler, and I went to his house, and we were, you know, I was getting to know this guy. We were kind of new friends, but he was a good dude, and I really liked him, and we were having a nice time getting to know each other. And it was my first time ever at his house, and he had a little, this little daughter as a toddler, and she came running out and jumped on my leg. I said, hello, sweetheart, how are you? I was like 22. I was like, how are you? And she goes, great. And then she ran away, and she came back, and she had a um, teddy bear backpack. 
and she put the teddy bear back, backpack on and it snapped like this and so she snapped it, you know? And then she ran over to me and grabbed my hand and started digging in the backpack like this but she couldn't reach it. And so she, I said, do you want me to get something out for you? And she said, yes, yes, yes. And so I looked in the backpack, there's nothing in there except a strap. I said, well, here's this, do you want it? She goes, hold on tight! As soon as I was holding it, it was one of those like leashes for children. I don't know how else to explain that. It was a, it was a teddy bear backpack leash. That's what it was. And she snapped on it and she ran like Red Rover style with all her might away from me. And it was the greatest game in her life to try to pull away from that thing. And so the next thing I know, like, oh gosh, you know, and she's pulling and she's just, <laughs> just like leaning on it, having a great time and running and doing things. It was her favorite. She was loving it. Children of God as those pure in heart who are called to imitate God as beloved children. Don't pull against the leash. Don't make it a game to snap on and see how far you can go. Instead, stay right where God has put you and where he's put you is clothed in righteousness. Where he's put you is pure in heart. Where he's put you is in the center of his will. Where he's put you is in the center of his love because Jesus said, no greater love, there's no greater thing in love than this than one who would lay down his life for his friend. So Jesus demonstrated the greatest love of all time for you by laying down his life for you, who is not even his friend. Don't give in to the temptation that the world tells us to use purity to try to cover up blemishes. Instead, trust God that he, by his purity, has cleansed you completely. And stop pulling to the end extent and touching your toe in the water of things that you know you shouldn't. And instead, come back to him and say, Lord, I want to be right with you. You know what that looks like. And here's the greatest part. The Lord Jesus in his goodness, who's already wrapped his righteousness around you, will wrap his arms around you as beloved children and pull you into himself. Because you are his. You are his. And there's no sweat that you've done that can make that happen. Instead, it was him who brought us into his holy place. Amen? So let me pray for you today. Receive this blessing. Thank you, Lord, that you're with us. Thank you, Lord, that you sent your son to die for us, to rise again, that we might have newness of life. Lord, we confess to you that we were apart from you without hope. There is no way for us to be pure in heart. There is no way for us to see you. But Lord, in Jesus Christ, but Lord, because of your son, Lord, because of what you've done, Lord, you have brought us near. You've clothed us in righteousness. You've given us pure hearts that we might see you. And so, Father, I pray in the mighty name of Jesus, help us, Lord, to see you. Help us, Lord, to walk in the middle of what you have for us and not on the edges. Lord, forgive us for times when we pulled at the leash instead of been close to you. Father, I ask you, open the eyes of our hearts and our revelation that we would know you and walk with you and serve you in all things to know your blessing. Lord, I pray for your blessing on each person here, that they would know the calling of the Father, that they would know the blood and righteousness of the Son applied to them in his life, and that they would know the power of the Holy Spirit who wraps us in your righteousness. Thank you, Lord. You are good. And we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Have a wonderful week. And Lord willing, we'll see you next week. We're dismissed.
Thanks, everybody.